This is heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hey folks, welcome back to another action-packed episode of Be Heard Talk. My name is Stanley Fritz, your favorite former engineer on the PC Ones and Twos. We are now being held down by the great Anaya in the background on StreamYard, and I'm your main host for the show today. Our Irish host, Lena Hill, is celebrating her birthday week. Happy birthday, Selena, so I'm taking the helm. Anyways, as you guys all know, Be Heard Talk is a weekly political show where we talk about all the issues that impact you, but from a black millennial perspective. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Be Heard Talk, on IG at Be Heard Talk, or on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts from, from Be Heard Talk. And if you're listening to the show and you like what you hear, take a screenshot and shout us out on social media so we can make sure we get to you. But before we jump into the full show, we got to introduce the whole crew. So next up, I want to bring up the queen, the goddess, the messy lord, Tammy David. Hey, I love that intro. From now on, I'm going to need all of y'all to address me as the messy lord, because that's me. Hey, what y'all doing? My name is Tammy David. I'm your problematic fave, aka the messy lord, here on Be Heard Talk. Now, this week is lit, not just because Stanley is back again with the moisturizer, but because we have celebrated our Scorpio legend, Selena Hill, and now we are officially in the chaos that is Sag season. So I'm sorry to bore all of y'all old heads, anti-astrological people, but this time of year is always so fun, happy holidays. So I hope that everyone gets a chance in the next month to do something fun, questionable, and maybe a little problematic. Why not? 2020 has given us pretty much nothing. So joining us today, we have one of my favorite correspondents, feminist legend and loyal sad king, Evan Mastronardi. He's the creator behind our sister podcast, Let's Not Be Trash, and Stanley's bachata partner for our virtual holiday party. So what's up, That's Evan? right. <laughs> what's Stan, going and I will be on all, Stan and I will be on all those Romeo tunes in a bit, so get ready for that. I, I am another Sag messy fave like you, Tammy. I don't follow astrology, but I read today that it, it gave a list of the funniest signs and Sagittarius was number one. So I know nothing about astrology, but they're right. We are the funniest. So, And follow me at, at oh, underscore Masternardi and, and the hottest and at let's not be trash. Wait, wait, hold on. Everything I've learned about science tells me Sagittarius are the most messiest sign. But That's real quick, correct. we didn't say anything about not being messy, Stan. We said the funniest and the hottest. That's all we yeah, said. Yeah. Shout out to Audra Robinson, who said she came here for the headline. She's here for this. Well, I'm glad you did because we will be talking about student loan debt. We've got a pretty packed show, and the Sagittarius Wonder Twins over here are going to help us get through it. But I want to go back to Tammy, who's going to bring us to the news roundup. So before we get to the main segment, every week uh, we talk about the stories that are heartwarming, gut-wrenching, take your pick. This is time for the news roundup. This week we're bringing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, the good being our holiday read for the Thanksgiving table, sad celeb news related to COVID, and then ugly Trump's increasingly messy efforts to thwart the election results. For more info on any of these stories and to suggest what we should talk about next week, follow and DM us at Be Heard Talk. So let's start with the ugly, y'all. 
It's November 22nd, and Trump is still desperately hanging on to a hope that doesn't exist. This week, Georgia finished its recount by hand, certifying that its 5 million ballots clearly delineated Biden as the winner, even by a narrow margin. Trump has just requested a recount, which legally he's allowed to get. Just as Pennsylvania has struck down a lawsuit filed by the Trump camp to recount ballots on the grounds of poll observance issues, Michigan has indicated a path forward through tomorrow's board meeting that hopefully will certify its results. Now, so far, Trump has lost 34 court cases and his party is quickly losing faith and moving to work towards certification. In an interview with George Stephanopoulos, notorious, or should I say infamous, Chris Christie, former New Jersey governor and Trump's personal parrot said, quote, it's time for President Trump to stop challenging the 2020 election results, end quote, adding that the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. Republicans across the board are adding that the country comes first. And this cry is what we heard uh, from those of us who want Trump to concede. So it's clear that his support is wavering. Now, Evan, can I just ask you, like, mm -hmm. what do you think about the future of the Republican Party if now they're decrying his legal efforts? The, well, a lot. So you mean a lot of them, though, are still enabling him. And you have some here and there, like Christie and Romney and some of the old hats who Trump has scorned many times, who are starting to appease the notion that Joe Biden won the election. However, the majority of Republicans are still very much enabling Donald Trump. Rudy Giuliani, with his famous uh, press conference in front of Four Seasons Landscaping, which will be uh, in our history books for the years to come, uh, is, is definitely one of them. And his uh, atrocity of hairline, uh, Dracula, whatever you want to call it the other day. Um, so the history will not view them well. And it is, it is quite scary though not surprising how much the mainstream Republican uh, is uh, leadership, including Mitch McConnell, who has probably as much power as the president in many ways, is still not accepting that Joe Biden is the president-elect. So for the vast majority, I am not satisfied with the majority of the Republican Party actually uh, accepting and doing the right thing for democracy that's saying Joe Biden won. I think this is the party of Donald Trump. This is what this all says. The Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump, and it will be that way after Joe Biden is hopefully sworn in on January 20th. It sounds like it's a party of people who don't wash their legs and are attracted to their sisters. If that's what really? you want to be. I see Jarrell Tyree is going hammer in the comments. Jarrell, not only has Trump lost, he actually lost Georgia three times in the last week. It's over, beloved. If you are actually black and not just a bot from Russia and or Antarctica, please move away from the bootlegging and move on with your life because these white folks do not like you. But anyways, I just want to take a second because we jumped ahead too fast. And as we're not worried about Donald Trump or his son who has a cocaine problem and now also COVID, I want you guys to know that we wanted to tell you how the show is being sponsored today. So as usual, we are on Black Enterprise Stream and we are very proud to That's be right. here with our friends and family at Black Enterprise, but also this episode is sponsored by Black Spectrum Theater. Start your subscription today and enjoy Black Spectrum home video series. This month brings you Bartersville, Five Guys, The Great Parade, and a comedy concert. 
Head to blackspectrum.com to learn more. So now, now that I've gotten out of the way and shouted out our friends at Black Enterprise and Black Spectrum Theater, really love their content. Let's talk about some of the other things that Republicans are doing right now. There are Republicans who are praying at the polling sites that have been closed now for a couple of weeks so that Trump can win. There are Republicans who are secretly congratulating Joe Biden, but they won't say it out loud because they are so damn afraid. And meanwhile, Donald Trump is somewhere punching his screen pillow and playing golf. Personally, I'm really happy about his failures. What about you, Tammy? I'm stoked, especially because Republicans are, you know, they're weak, so they're not coming out in droves to sort of put him down yet like a dog. But Republican governors are meeting with Democratic governors and the president-elect and Kamala Harris to discuss the COVID numbers that are running rampant. And some of Trump's aides have been literally sneaking information to the Biden camp so that he isn't totally unprepared. Uh, whatever is going on here, I'm kind of here for it. Like Republicans might be shy and bewildered and confused as to what's happening, not only in their own homes, but in their own party. But at least we have something to look forward to. Well, Tammy, that's because you're the chaos hottie. That's how we're enjoying this. But what else is happening in the news this week? So speaking of some chaos and sort of a hot mess issue that Biden is going to have to tackle, let's talk about the COVID craze. Now, numbers have been going up all around the country. This is clearly priority number one, but it's also trickling into our pop culture now. So as we've been at home, fearful for our communities, our first responders, our families, COVID is getting some clout in the media. Now, latest familiar faces include Jeremiah and Bobby Brown Jr. So bad news first, Bobby Brown Jr. died on Wednesday night in his LA home after being sick with flu-like symptoms. And reportedly, he hasn't been feeling well for days just before his death. Wow. Now, this is the latest blow to his family's Shakespearean tragedy, one that's left Bobby Brown with a late wife, a dead daughter, and now a tragically dead son. In good news, birthday sex R&B hottie Jeremiah is out of the ICU and onto the path of recovery. Now, earlier in the week, a representative for his family told CNN that the virus had viciously attacked his body, and they wanted to remind others that quote, COVID-19 is real and not to be taken lightly. It's important for people infected to quarantine and let their families and friends know ASAP. There's no shame in contracting COVID-19 and people that have it need to be responsible and considerate of others. So Stanley, I want to throw it to you to, you know, give your condolences or talk about how you feel with the celeb deaths, but most importantly about a cohesive COVID response, because I think it's sad that we're leaning on celebrities to talk about the dyers of the coronavirus. So first off, rest in peace to um, Bobby Brown Jr. is his name. I don't, I don't know his name. Um, but then also, yeah. I'm happy that he's doing much better. But the, it didn't have to be this bad in the United States. And that really is an example of the poor leadership that, that, like, that has happened in this country under the Trump administration. And like one of our folks in the comments said, I too will be very happy when I can put this administration and all of their failures into my rear view because it's just so bad. I'm just so over it. Um, you know, Hope Biden's Biden's COVID um, czar said that if we just 
did a shutdown for four to six weeks and gave people money to survive, we could get through this. So yeah, let's do that. Let's shut the country down for four to six weeks and just get through this so we can be done with this. It would take six to eight months just for a vaccine to hit critical mass. So we can't count on that. So if we shut down for four to six weeks, we can probably get through this and hopefully be past all the spaces. For all those folks who are in the comments who are watching, if listening on podcast, if listening later on, you know, we're hoping you're all happy, safe, and healthy because this virus is nothing to play with. So as you're sitting here trying to figure out what to do next, let's talk about some of the other news stories that have popped up. So, Evan, I don't know how much you listen to um, the rapper Mulatto, but she is getting a lot of flack right now because apparently a couple of years ago, she said that she wasn't black. So Twitter, she's been trending on Twitter since yesterday afternoon. There's a clip where she says she's not black, but she's not white. She's kind of in the middle. And a lot of folks don't like that. Tammy and I were talking about it earlier today. Um, and one of the things that like I said about it was, I know a lot of mixed race people tend to say that, or at least mixed race people that I know, because you don't really fit in 100% black. You get criticism for that unless you look objectively black. And you can't like acknowledge white unless you look objectively white. So a lot of folks just kind of split the difference. And I felt like that's what Mulata was doing. How do you feel about her not saying that she was black? Well, we had a conversation about, I, I don't really listen uh, to Mulatto, but we had a conversation about just her using that name before him, Be Heard, if you remember, with mm -hmm. Selena. And and I believe Tammy was on the show as well. And we were talking about how, first of all, does it even, is it is it insulting? Is it paying uh, almost respect to a time when that term was used in the context of oppression, in the context of passing. Uh, so she has a name that is a very historical uh, name that ties to oppression of black people and passing in a white supremacist culture. So when you have that name and you seem to not want to be very uh, confused how you're identifying, it's one thing, to, everybody's identif identity is their personal journey. So I don't want to ever uh, denigrate someone's personal journey and identification, but it is to have that platform and to say like that, I'm not black, especially with that name. You have to be cognizant of the type of damage and the type of feelings that that can do. Um, of course, going back in time, it didn't really matter how much percentage you were black. As long as you had a drop of black blood, you were considered different. It didn't mean you can't pass in some contexts, but you still were not considered white. And, you know, we call Obama our first black president. You know, Kamala Harris is still are going to be our first black VP, even though she's biracial as well. You can be both. You can be a black person with a white parent. So I think this is about a broader conversation on classification of race and less so about her specifically. But I do think if you're going to call yourself that name that has a lot of historical context, you have to be very uh, cognizant of how you use those terms because mulatto is a very, very uh, significant term in, the, in, in our history of, of racial struggle. Yeah, Evan, that's 100% right. So I have, we have a comment over here highlighted um, shout out to Audra Robinson for listening and commenting so much on the show today. We really appreciate you and hope to see you here more often. If you guys listening to the show and you like what you hear, take a screenshot, 
post it on social media and tag us at Be Heard Talk. We'll be sure to retweet you or repost you on Instagram or like and share on Facebook. Once again, if you like what you're listening to, just take a screenshot, post on on the socials, either on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or even YouTube. And we'll make sure we'll, we re-blast that. Our name on all those platforms are Be Heard Talk. So Audra Robertson says her rap name is Mulatto. That is a problem within itself. Tammy, I want to throw it to you because I know we've talked about this before. Thank you, Stanley. I'm so happy to answer that comment because honestly, I have different feelings towards it. And a lot of people are dragging her by the name, but I'm also biracial and I never knew it to be a derogatory term. Um, I grew up in like my, my black side is Caribbean and I grew up with my black side, like with my dad and my grandma. And first of all, they tell me all the time I'm not black and they don't mean it as like disrespect, but like literally in Trinidad, it's like different to be mixed versus like just being black. Like they didn't have the one drop rule over there, at least as far as I know. Um, my parents would always say like, you're mulatto because that's the term that they knew for half black, half white. They didn't know like the American connotations to it. And so for me, her having that name, like maybe she grew up in a similar situation where people just called her mulatto. To me, it's similar to the N-word, um, like where, yes, it's had connotations in the past, but we've reclaimed it. And like, that's our word to use. And if we're calling ourselves that as like biracial people, then that should be fine. I don't know why people have to be in our business about it. Um, Paulette, I feel you like a lot of us mixed race people do identify as black, even the white passing ones. And I know that that's a little dicey sort of subject, but you know, if you are perceived as black and treated as black and grow up with black people, it's almost impossible for you not to identify as black. So I don't understand how it's using the word in a harmful connotation when it's supposedly harming your own culture. Um, so thank you so much for everyone commenting on this debate. Unfortunately, I wanna move on because there's another colorist topic that we need to get to, and it's Kevin Hart calling his dark-skinned teenage daughter a hoe in his new Netflix special. Wait, so, what? What? He called his daughter a hoe? Yes. Yeah, so I, I missed that one. <laughs> yo, so this week, Kevin Hart uh, dropped a Netflix special aptly named Zero F's Given, uh, and he is being dragged on social media. Anaya, can you play that clip for us? My name Matt. Oh my God, he's so cute. He makes me laugh. I want him. What does that mean? What does that mean? I want him. What, what the fuck are you saying, little girl? Should I tell him? If that's how you feel, honey, tell him. My daughter goes to school, tells the boy how she feels. She comes home. Dad, oh my God, guess what? Matt likes me back. We're a thing. Good for you, honey. That makes me happy. Do me a favor. Keep it in the kid's space, though. Okay, Dad. She comes back home two days later. Dad, I don't like Matt no more. I like this boy named Rob now. He look better. He make me laugh more. That's who I really want. It happens, honey. Sometimes you think you like somebody, then you meet somebody else, and you realize that's the person that you liked all along. It's called life. Make it happen. Move on. Be honest with the other person. All right, Dad, I love you. Keep it in the kid's face. A week goes by. Dad, I don't like Rob no more. I like this boy named Tim. Instantly, in my mind, I said, my daughter a hoe. This is hoe shit. This is hoe shit. 
Yeah, so uh, he fully called his daughter a hoe. Now, as always, there are a few ashy men who don't have lotion, but do have the audacity, trying to defend him, talking about people being too sensitive. But Kevin's always been edgy. And honestly, he's cheated on his wife a bunch of times. He says colorist things, he has poor taste. So I don't know, what do we do with that? Like. Stanley, do you think that he's being problematic to say the least? Keep in mind, his daughter is 15 and she's going to see this on the internet. Yeah. So like, I, I like to give comedians a lot of space to be comedians because comedy is not always pretty and it's it might be offensive sometimes. Like you want to give them space, but like that just seems really weird to be calling your daughter a hoe, even if it's a joke when she can watch and her friends can watch. And now she has to go to school and people are like, call it, like that whole that entire thing is, is uncomfortable. And then let's not just, let's not forget about the fact that like he's slut shaming his kid. That just, that just really, I'm, I'm uncomfortable all the way around. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. He's slut shaming her for crushes though. Evan, what's your hot take on this please? Because we need that male feminist good, good right now. I, I, I'm going to first add on to what Stanley said, which is it's difficult to put this in different contexts because in the context of a comedian, can Kevin Hart say those things and still be a comedian who should not be quote unquote outright canceled? I don't believe in cancel culture anyway, for the most part. Uh, yeah. But is it is it good comedy? No. Is it good for uh, the movements that we're in and not slut shaming and not creating damaging gender norms? No, it's not. It's not even funny because it's old. It's played out. It is, like you said, it's crushing. Teenagers have crushes. And the ultimate thing I would ask is that, would he call his son that if he liked multiple girls? Mm. Probably not. Word. So that means that there, it's not, not I mean, it, it is clearly, I just want to read this. He didn't call her a hoe. He's a comedian. Y'all really need to get over that. But that's where I'm making this distinction. So I can, we can, say this person has space to be a comedian and make these jokes but we could also say once you put those jokes out there we can criticize it let and me just that's, say, that's what we're doing i criticize that type of comedy yeah sorry time to go on i want to respond to kimberly because we literally have a saying in the english language if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck he called his daughter a hoe there's no defense around that like the segment literally says like that's hoe behavior, that's hoe type of ish. He goes on to say he called his hoe friend and she confirmed that it's hoe behavior and so she's becoming a hoe. Like literally it is one and the same. You are one of those, actually no, you're not even an ashy dude, you're a pick me. Because why are you defending this short problematic man? Calling hey, matter, short. <laughs> 15-year-old daughter, a hoe. What's a pick-me? A pick-me is a woman who will trash other women um, or say things at the expense of other women in order to get male validation and male attention. They're the kind of women who are like, oh, I would never dress like that because I have respect. Like, I'm going to get a husband because I have respect. Like, that's the kind of energy that hurts Black women and enables this kind of rhetoric. We saw the same kind of behavior with T.I., who was practically became a doctor over his daughter's hymen, who's a grown woman. Like, this is a huge issue. Um, we have another comment. Um, I, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Tim. 
We have another comment from Missy Edwards that says his daughter's skin color and calling her a hoe is two different issues. Do either one of y'all want to respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't hear him mention her skin color, so I can't, I can't comment on that because I didn't hear it. But I, I, yeah, comedians need space and make jokes. I would not include my children in jokes like that because, like, especially as a teenager, they got to go back to school and face people, and that's not fun. Um, and yeah, I agree with Missy Edwards. You know, commenting on his daughter's skin color and commenting and sledging her are two different things. I didn't hear that he called her a whole, I mean, um, commenting on her skin color, so I don't really know much to say about that. But I we learned a lot. I uh, I just want to respond to a few things here, uh, specifically from uh, AJ Simmons, who mentioned slut shaming. What the is that? Did Black, sorry, WTF is that? Did Black Enterprise get hacked? Uh, so I guess you just height shamed by calling them short. It was a joke. Now Tammy was making a joke. As, as a short king here, self-proclaimed short king, obviously his height has nothing to do. You can be tall and be misogynist. You can be short and be misogynist. It truly does not matter. Um, but regarding the other part, Part I don't understand why why slut shaming would be uh, at ends with anything that Black Enterprises program has to say. Slut shaming is truly uh, an in, an important aspect of sexism that permeates in our society. That is with all you know th throughout all all backgrounds and cultures and needs to be explored in all places. I do want to just add to what Stanley said in that this is a comedian, and I also think we should not look to comedians for certain nuance and certain commentary on things. I, I agree Kevin Hart has a platform, but his platform is within comedy and he can make bad comedy. So the one thing I just wanna add to this is where do we draw the line between someone who that's not even comedy that has no place in society and that's just bad comedy? Because I see what Kevin Hart did as bad comedy. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it helps society, but I don't think it's like, there's no place for that in bad comedy is always going to be in comedy as long as you're a comedian. So no surprise that Kevin Hart, who is insensitive about Lil Nas X when he came out as being gay, who has had many homophobic remarks and no surprise, but I'm not, I no longer have the same type of respect for Kevin Hart's comedy as I did when I wasn't paying attention to these things. So I agree with everything that's being said, but I also wouldn't look to Kevin Hart and, and care about Kevin Hart in certain contexts. Thank you everyone so much for your contributions. Uh, AJ and Anthony know that I will be getting a talking to after this by Evan for being problematic and height shaming. And whatever you guys think, whether you think comedians should set the bar or they're just comedians, let them live, check out Zero F's Given and hit us up at Be Heard Talk and tell us what you think about it. Um, obviously comedians have, you know, a lot of room to grow, but they are, you know, entertainers at the least. Is it tacky that he called his daughter a hoe? Yes, but maybe he wasn't being problematic and maybe we are just looking into it too much. You let us know at Be Heard Talk. Now, before I wrap and throw it back to Stanley so we can talk about student loan debt, I just wanna let y'all know that Obama has been making his social media rounds and it is because he dropped his official memoir this Thursday called A Promised Land. Now his goal according to Twitter was to give some insight into the events and people that shaped him and to inspire others into playing a role to create a better world. This book has had record-breaking sales, rave reviews, 
uh, talks a lot about Republicans and their sort of reactionism to him being the first black president. It talks about soothing the racial anxieties of a worried and racist America. It talks about some of his hallmark achievements like Obamacare and the raid that captured Osama bin Laden. So I would highly recommend y'all check out the 800 page memoir. Uh, clearly it's gonna be talked about at your Thanksgiving table. So you wanna make sure, just look it up and get some hot takes on that. I'm sure as we transition, we're gonna be looking more and more into what to expect from Joe Biden. And honestly, a promised land is a good place to start. So Stanley, do you wanna talk a little bit about the memoir and what to expect next? I, I, I purchased a copy of the memoir. I've started to read it. Barack Obama is a brilliant writer. So far, I love it. I'm only about two chapters in. He really does spend a lot of time talking about his personal journey and organizing and infrastructures, which I really, really appreciate. I was not expecting him to talk so much about that. I'll give some more feedback on the book once I'm done. I'm, I plan to read a lot of it today. Word, and Evan, is there anything important that you think that we should look into that the book said? Maybe anything about his policies we should look into or Republican obstructionism, as they call it? Well, I read his first two books, I'll be honest. I didn't read this one yet, but I am looking forward to it. Um, I, I think Obama brings a positivity that, interestingly enough now, is kind of controversial. And we have to take from it what we can and, and leave what we don't like. I always loved Obama as a person. I loved his character. Of course, there are certain things about how he governed that we can debate. But one thing I just want to say that he didn't actually say this in the book, or maybe he did say this in the new book, but I know he said in an interview. He once said, when, when I have meetings with progressives and they tell me about a lot of the things that they want to get done, and, and, and sometimes he said, the thing that hurts me the most is that some people think, you know, you wouldn't think that if I, I, I could do these things, I, I still wouldn't do them. It's that we also have to remember exactly how much was in Barack Obama's power, how much of the vision, the things sometimes we criticize him for being too lofty and unifying and peaceful and all the, well, there's a lot of these things that Obama really wanted to do, but as, as the president, he can't be the author that he is as president. We can't expect the author Barack Obama to be president Barack Obama because he has certain things that prevent him from getting what he wants done. So even as we criticize him, which we should, we have to remember that there's a lot that this man truly believes in and would have liked to put in place that simply given the powers that be, he cannot, he could not in the past. That's fair. Now, thank you so much to everyone who tuned in to the news roundup. If you end up reading the memoir, let us know how you found it at Be Heard Talk. Give us passages to read. Give us your favorite lines. Give us what you thought was missing. And join us as always next week for another news roundup. Tammy, thank you so much for such a great news roundup. You are as yes, thank you. as you are chaotic. So before I introduce our um, next topic, I just want to let folks know that this episode is being sponsored by Black Spectrum Theater. Start your subscription today and enjoy Black Spectrum home video series. This month brings you Bartersville, Five Guys, I'm Hungry Now, The Great Parade, and a comedy concert. Head to blackspectrum.com to learn more. But now that we've talked about our great sponsors and also as always shout out to Black Enterprise, let's talk about the issue we are all here for. Sally May, AKA Navient, AKA Crestface, AKA Give Me My Money Back. 
We are here today because, as we know, Donald Trump got washed in the presidential election. And because of that, Joseph Biden will be the president of the United States as of January 20th. One of the things that Joe Biden ran on was some level of student loan forgiveness. So he didn't promise school student loan forgiveness, but he did say that he was going to do student loan forgiveness. And a large part of the credit for that being in his platform goes to Tammy Marie David. Just kidding. It goes to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Bernie Sanders had that power because of people like Tammy. And Joe Biden felt the need to do stuff like this because he knew voters like Tammy were not seeing it for him. And they knew that if they did not give them a reason to vote, they would not have. So here we are. Joe Biden is going to enter the White House January 20th, unless the whites start a race war, which, hey, you never know. So when he does, here's what's on the table. According to Chuck Schumer, he is suggesting to the president-elect to, as part of COVID relief, forgive $10,000 of student loan debt for everybody off rip. On top of that, he wants the president to also automatically forgive $50,000 of student loan debt of all people. Right now, they're just talking about undergraduate debt. That's just what Senator Schumer, who's a current minority leader, is saying. Joe Biden, in his own plan, has a specific way that he wants to deal with student loan debt. And I want to go, that with you, go through that with you guys really quickly. So if you attended a public college or university like Stanley Fritz, who went to SUNY Old Westbury, you would get student loan debt. If you attended a private, historically black college and university, and additional minority-serving institutions like Boricua College, down the block from my house, you would also be eligible. If you use student loan money to pay for undergraduate tuition, you would be eligible. If you earn less than $125,000 a year, you would be eligible. However, and unfortunately, graduate students under Biden's plan would not be eligible. Obviously, there's a lot on the table to be negotiated because he has not stepped into the White House yet, but that is his current plan. As this has started to pick up steam, we have also seen a couple of people push back on the idea that we should be giving student loan forgiveness to anyone. Two days ago, a random white man who seemed to be disgruntled hopped on Twitter and said, Biden doesn't know how many other ashy disgruntled white people who will be mad if you forgive people student loan debt because they paid theirs off. He was then backed up by one and a half other ashy angry people who had just paid off their debt and for some reason seem upset that people might get relief from what has pretty much been a scam to get people to go to college. That has started up a firestorm of conversations around student loan debt that folks have been looking for Joe Biden to respond to. And a lot of people feel like, whoa, this issue is not only important, it is brand new. But my friends, it is not brand new. This conversation has been happening for a long time. And if you have been following Be Heard Talk for as long as I've been on this show, which is forever, you will know that I was talking about this when I was a disgruntled 24-year-old with $35,000 worth of student debt making $10 an hour. It is very important to me. But it wasn't just Stanley that was talking about student loan debt. We had people who weren't just talking about it. They were doing the organizing around it as well. And that's who our guest is today. And that's what I want to introduce. Melissa Martin is an organizer who works on electoral campaigns, issue campaigns, and designing creative actions. In her spare time, she spent the last 10 years fighting to cancel student loan debt and make college free. I found about Melissa on, on Twitter about six years ago and I have religiously followed her since then because she has been one of the most consistent and vocal people discussing student loan debt. And I'm really excited to have her here today. Melissa, happy to see you. Hi, everybody. I'm really grateful to be here. Nice to see you, Stanley and Tammy and Evan. Hey, Melissa. Hey, Melissa. 
So real quick, folks, if you're watching the show and you're enjoying the conversation, take a screenshot. Look at our beautiful faces. Look at Tammy's magnificent face. Look at Melissa's magnificent face. Look at Evan's perfectly crisp Yankee fitted. Take a screenshot <laughs> and share it on social media and tag us at Be Her Talk, and we'll make sure we retweet you. Tell us what you're enjoying about the conversation. But after yes. doing that, I want to make sure we know two things. One, Melissa, you've got some fans in here. Audra Robinson is calling you her hero in the chat. Audra, she's my hero too. So and now, oh, that's adorable. It's awesome, right? So I want to get the conversation moving because I know folks like Audra have been waiting for at least 26.4 minutes to start it. So, Melissa, first things first <laughs> do you support Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan? If not, is there something better we could be looking at? Well, I support the fact that Joe Biden has moved so quickly in the last six months to embrace student loan forgiveness and cancellation. And it's our job as advocates to help him get the best possible plan. Thank you so um, much. Oh, sorry. Let's you know, we're not, we're, I was going to say, we're, we're not we're advocates. We're never happy. So our job is to always help them be the best they can be. Got you. What will be an ideal student loan plan? Sure. So I think like what's really great is we're seeing that Schumer and Biden are starting to support the idea of administrative relief by using executive action. So you don't have to deal with Congress. Being able to do something without Congress is huge. And so they can actually, with one signature on a piece of paper, get rid of all federal student loan debt, undergrad and graduate debt. And I think that's really important, especially in terms of racial justice issues, because so many people of color have graduate student loan debt. And if we're really going to get rid of the racial wealth gap, we need to make sure that whether it was undergrad or graduate debt, that we just get rid of it and are able to move forward. Thank you so much for that, Melissa. I want to throw it to Evan. Evan, as the first Dominican Italian, you also went to a city university. I'm not sure if you have student loan debt. Would it bother you if you saw folks like myself who got student loan debt from going to a state university get relief? Of course not. It wouldn't bother me. That's that's What type of miserable human being must you be? for that to bother you. It's like when I was getting unemployment, though they unfortunately cut that, when I was getting unemployment, I saw other people post, look at all these people make, getting money based on unemployment that's similar to what I'm getting. I'm like, yes, you should be getting paid more. Why Why are you angry at me? I worked hard too and now I don't have a job. So I feel it, I feel like it's the same way. It's like, I don't, I don't find, uh, I did pay off, I was lucky to go to a CUNY where I got scholarships and I, it also was not a high tuition from the start. In fact, the only thing I had to pay off for the longest time was one semester at a private university that I found wasn't worth it and then transferred to CUNY, to City College. So no, I don't think that's even really a consideration. If, if someone else paid off their debt, good for them. The country does better economically when we all are paid off our debt and all are educated and are able to be socially mobile. So Tammy, I don't even think about that. Thank you very much for that, Evan. Tammy, some folks are saying that forgiving students that would erase a job market for a lot of people. As we all know, Sally Mae Navian and all those different loan companies that hope that harass you to collect their money or your money, they hire people and pay the minimum wage to call you and tell you to pay your loans or help you come up with payment plans that don't really help you. Those folks would be out of jobs if they didn't have numbers like mine to call to collect their money that I can't afford to give but needed to pay for school. What do you think about that? You know what's ironic? People saying that loan debt or like free college 
would make those people lose jobs because it's statistically proven that opening and creating access to higher education will actually amplify the job market like times a thousand. Imagine if those people working minimum wage jobs suddenly have access to a higher education that they maybe previously couldn't afford or couldn't get access to because they weren't in the what top five, 10% of their class to get scholarships. Um, I think that's silly logic. There will always be a need for telemarketers and there will always be a need for you know phone customer service representatives. Those people, if they chose to stay in that industry or had to stay in that industry would find jobs elsewhere. And those who wanted to move on to something great would now have the opportunity to do so. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Melissa. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's really a key part. And a big part of this work right now is we're able to cancel federal student loan debt through executive action. So we can do that first. Joe Biden can do that at 12.02 p.m. right after he gets sworn in or, you know, within the first week. And then we use that energy and all of the great media coverage and all of the great stories that will come from canceling the federal student loan debt to then immediately begin working on free public college for all and canceling private student loan debt. Our, this is a, basically a first victory. And then what you do with one victory is then you organize to get more victories. And I think, yes, it's important to think about people that could be impacted. But what I found coming from a lower income family and from a working class background is that people who are actually struggling, they want other people to be successful. The people that are whining about student loan debt are the super well-paid people that are like an economist at Harvard who used to you know, work for the Obama administration or people that work for Third Way or Brookings or Budget Hawks. It's people who get paid to represent the interest, interest of Wall Street. But people that are struggling, they want everybody else to succeed because who doesn't? Because most people are not assholes unless you're paid to be an asshole. That is very true. And if you are, that means you're a Republican. But anyways, I want to read Audra's comment because I think it makes perfect sense. Why are you mad if you paid off your student loan debt? That's a privilege. I feel accomplished that I paid down half. And now Biden and Kamala can come get this other half. Audra also goes on to say in another comment that you can take out of her 40 acres that was promised to her ancestors, Audra. They can <laughs> yeah. and still give you your full 40 acres because they owe you that. But I want to keep the conversation going. Very true. Very true. And this next, this next question um, is for you, Melissa. How does student loan debt become a $1.6 trillion crisis? Um, because starting with Reagan, everybody has embraced defunding education. Like no one, no one cried. There was nobody freaking out and whining when Republicans were pushing this whole movement to defund education. And so starting in the mid nineties, um, when there, the schools were running out of money, and they weren't funding education, it all got sent over to the person going to college. And so you had an option when you were going to college was you could either go to college and have debt or you could not go to college. So it wasn't fair, it wasn't this fair bargain. And so it cemented that college was a wealth, a wealth transfer within families or a debt sentence for everybody else. And then it kept growing and growing and growing. And then you had a big issue in the 2000s, like in the aughts with servicing being terrible, and then that expanded and then the debt kept going up. So now it's ballooning. And then the Obama administration, instead of canceling the student loan debt, they created this income-based repayment or an income deferral repayment process, which cut payments down to like 10% of your income, but it was only paying on interest. So that has caused the balance to go up. Um, whereas if on January 20th, we just get rid of all the federal student loan debt, that'll take care of about, about around 97% of all student loan debt. Then we can work on getting rid of the rest um, through Congress. 
That sounds very, very exciting to me. So I want to throw it to Evan. Evan, a lot of people are saying that the problem is not student loan debt. It's the fact that colleges are overcharging and not giving you quality for it. What do you think about that argument? It's both. I mean, both of these things can contribute to the massive amount of debt and, and difficulty finding employment afterwards. I do believe that that the point that you just brought up is also accurate. I think that we don't all leave college, especially undergrad, with professional skills necessary for lots of job markets. Sometimes you need to go through masters to get that. I remember people kept telling me when I got my masters, which was for public administration, it's a professional degree, it's a professional degree. What that means is that it's giving you skills that are very specific toward the actual day-to-day -day work you'll be doing in a job, like memo writing, creating a budget, creating a press release. That should be like at the end of high school or in, um, or definitely in undergrad for types of skills people need because memo writing sounds easy. It's not. There's, there's a lot of people that maybe know how to write a 60-page undergraduate thesis, but by the time you leave and you get assigned to write a clear one-page memo, you don't get that. So that, if you're being charged so much for school, if you're being charged so much for school, you should definitely get at a certain point in your undergrad career very specific things that can help you get a job. Now, that doesn't assure you will. That's a whole other issue, which is the job market and how so much of it is like, who knows where these applications go. So much of it is connections and networking. But the, I do agree that the schools aren't always doing the job to give you professional skills as much as they are giving theory and abstract skills. Thanks so much, Evan. I want to throw it back to Tammy. Tammy, we have a comment up here from Linda Daniels who says college loans replaced housing mortgages. Many signed on bad loans, took advantage of desperate people. I'd love for you to respond to that. But also, I want to know from you, as our chaos lord, is college a scam? Oh, college is a scam. Honestly, <laughs> there is no badder scammer on this earth than Sally Mae. And yo, I cannot stress this enough. The people in higher ed are earning racks never before seen. So Linda made a great, great point. People like myself, I went to college at 17. I'm a first generation college student in my family. I had no idea what anything around college was, much less the financials of it. My parents didn't know because they didn't go to college. My grandparents didn't know because they didn't go to college. They weren't even from this country. I ended up going to a private university my first year and getting scammed out of so much money. Though I got a scholarship that covered half of my first year, the other half was taken out in a private loan that is currently accruing so much interest, I may never pay that off. Now, then there's the other part of it, which is schools like CUNYs and SUNYs, public colleges and institutions, like we all went to, I transferred to a CUNY later on, uh, that take advantage of their lower income students by providing a less than admirable sort of education and standards of living in the dorms and quality of administration, charge them out the butt for it and tell them that's what they need to get ahead. Like in general, I feel like college is a scam because in America, everyone wants to get rich. No one wants to do the less than glamorous jobs. So we're not even told about trade jobs and you know work that comes with great experience or apprenticeship, alternatives to life that don't include debt. 
But we are also told that in order to succeed, we need to reach the highest rung of education, not necessarily telling us how much debt it will put us into. The majority of people who take out these loans, like Jeremy Cortez here on uh, this, here on our screen, will take out loans with the promise of becoming successful and paying those off quickly, who realize the job market is not that easy and as interest accrues, they can never pay it off. So in short, yes, college is a scam because often people are pushed into it without knowing options. They're not educated on financial security or financial well-being, and then the government will not bail them out after when they don't find jobs or opportunities. Yeah, and you know, Melissa, I want to throw it back to you because as we saw in a comment that was highlighted earlier, Jeremy Cortez says, I left college with 17,000 in debt and because I'm on income-based repayments, my new loan balance is 41,000. How is that even possible? Fraud is an understatement. You were speaking directly to this when a couple of minutes earlier, you, you kind of criticized Biden and Obama's um, income-based repayment system, which I am also under, and it's not much help. They still want me to pay $700 a month in loans. I can't do that. Um, how do we solve this problem right here that Jeremy and I are going through? Sure, um, cancellation. And it's important, the cancellation is important because we did nothing wrong. What was wrong was that we defunded education and that the only opportunity that people had for education if their parents weren't wealthy was to go into debt. And that was the problem and that was the mistake and that was the policy choice that was made in the mid nineties and it's only gotten worse over the last 30 years. And we have a simple way to rectify that and that is via executive action to cancel it and then being able to organize to make college free and cancel student loan debt. And the Obama administration tried, but there were all these economists like Jason Furman, one of the ones that started whining on Twitter this week about why canceling student loan debt is bad, who decided that, well, no, no, the real problem is the payments. So let's take the payments down a little bit and then people can deal with like, paying $500 a month for 20 years. But when you're Jason Furman and you literally have a building at NYU named after your family, you don't understand what it means that you actually need that $500 every month because that's not something that you're gonna be using to go on vacation with. That's like literally your rent or it's your food or it's your like trying to pretend to have um, some sort of like emergency savings. And so this is really about our dignity. And it's like, if you grew up poor or working class in America, you don't have to prove yourself as worthy. Like if you do the work to get into college, if you do the work when you go to community college, if you do the work for trade school, that's enough. Like you don't need to do community service. You don't need to like be on some sort of like payment plan for 20 years. And then when you're 40 or 45, all of a sudden be able to have your full paycheck. And I mean, that's what it's about. And right now, like we're not considered full people and like we are full people. And it gets worse for people that, you know, a lot of LGBT students whose their parents won't, once they find out that they're queer, the parents might disown them. So then they have to take out more debt. Um, it's worse for disabled students. It's worse for people of color, especially women of color. And that's why all this issue of student loan debt is like one of the most intersectional issues out there. And that's why we have to cancel the student loan debt. And then everybody who gets their loans canceled, then you should join the fight to make college free for the next people. So that way, the people that are working at those call centers, if they want to go back to college, it's free. So they can get that education. And college doesn't mean a four-year degree or a master's degree. College can mean being able to go to your community college and get trained to do medical tech work. So that way, there's no more of those like super scammy for-profit colleges. Yeah. And what's been really great about the Biden team is that they've been open to conversations. 
And every time I call them, they pick up their phone. They want to keep me happy. And so I've been engaging with them and I've really framed it to them like, okay, um, I, I worked for Bernie. I wanted Bernie to win, but okay, you guys won the primary. So we are now in a four year long relationship. And in this relationship, we're going to do good things. And that's just the way it's going to be. And so far they've been holding up their end of the bargain. And we just need to kind of like help push them over the hump. So that way he signs that full cancellation for federal student loan debt. Melissa, I cannot tell you how encouraging that is to hear. And thank you so much for the work that you and others are doing on this. I just want to stop for one second to let folks know, if you're listening to the show or watching right now and you like what you hear, whether you're listening and watching us live or listening on podcast, take a screenshot, share it on social media and say what you like about the conversation and tag us at Be Her Talk. We will make sure that we retweet you and respond. We want to show some love back to the people who always give love to us. Also, shout out to Atlantis. Felicia, Audra, and Samantha, who have been listening, Molly, who's been listening, and all of our great listeners. Evan, I know you had a couple of comments that had you frustrated. I want to give you a chance to speak back to those. Go ahead, King. Well, I just wanted to speak to one uh, earlier. I think uh, one of the LinkedIn users, I don't know if I have a name, but uh, it mentioned, yes, that's not necessarily true. Professors get paid poorly. It's the administrators that make the money. I just want to be clear that some of that is true, specifically the adjunct professors. The adjunct professors make nothing. It's, it's horrible what the adjunct professors are, are paid. As someone who worked in CUNY and graduated through CUNY, I went to City College with Tammy. And when I saw on the working end how much these adjunct professors got paid, it, it's criminal. Like even if they have enough hours to approximate something close to full time, um, they're not they're barely making, I would say, a working class salary. So the professors, meaning those that are tenured, meaning those that have uh, stable jobs, make pretty good money. The administrators make pretty good money. That needs to be cut, absolutely. And that needs to be, or at least redistributed. But let's be clear, many of the instructors in public schools do not make a lot of money and are struggling to, and are still paying off their student loans. So I don't see how getting rid of Sally May uh, at all hurts the workforce. The last thing I just want to throw, because we were talking about signs earlier, I want to know what sign Tammy thinks Sally May is, just to be messy. Ooh, oh my God. Hmm. She's definitely a Scorpio. No, no, <laughs> no. Money obsessed, prone to harassment, That's passive weird. aggressive, and constantly at your That's heels. A That's a Virgo. That's as long as it's not us. Virgo. As long as it's not us. Not definitely But real quick, I want to get to a comment. Atlantis says, yes, no one is told about trade jobs. Thank God I went to college and have a loan. My kids won't be like me. Get a trade, get a trade in high school, work and pay for your classes. You can stay home with me until you get your degree if you want. That's so cool, Atlantis. I also want to highlight another comment that Atlantis made where Atlantis said, I got a dental assistant degree, went for two years. So while in school, I got laid off, looked for other jobs and didn't get hired. This was right out of school. I was the only black girl in my class to leave our class without a dental job, shaking my head. Moved to Houston and they want me to pay, they want to pay me $10 an hour for a dental assistant role for all the love and dedication I put into school. Is it because I'm black? You know? Probably, yeah, because like systemic racism impacts people in ways you wouldn't even believe. I had to take out so much extra money in student loans because I didn't have anywhere to live, literally. And then even with that student loan money, I couldn't afford to pay for my books. So for my last year in college, I worked 
three jobs just to go to school and was only able to eat because I had friends who would sneak me into the cafeteria. I don't have access to my transcript or my degree because I couldn't get any more loans and I couldn't afford to pay off all the debt right away. And then when you enter into the job field with that, the job market is extremely hard to tap into, especially when you're a person of color. And now you have thousands of dollars in loans and they want to pay you $10 an hour. I was being paid $12 an hour um, at Lancet. So I, I definitely feel your pain right there. So Melissa, we talked about some of the ways that student loan debt can negatively impact um, black and brown people. We even talked about the way that apparently a lot of people agree that Sally Mae is a Virgo. How do we stop institutions like Sally Mae and student loan debt from ever being a problem for anyone else again? Belinda, Atlantis, I'm sorry you guys are Virgos, but listen, this is on you. Tammy and Evan have spoken. Go ahead, Melissa. Yeah, it's it, there's too much Virgo energy out there in the world right now. Um, but one thing that's important is that it's about organizing. When we carry the shame, so for me, I didn't start talking about my own student debt story until about 10 years ago when I was at a meeting for work. And this very important guy was there at this meeting and he asked people to raise their hand if they had student loan debt. I raised my hand, I was the youngest in the room at the time. And then he asked me, you know, how much debt do you have? And I said, well, I'm not telling. And he goes, well, as long as you're ashamed of your debt, the banks have all the power. So he asked me again and I, I said, how much debt? I said half the amount of debt because like real talk, it's hard overcoming shame. And that guy was Reverend Jesse Jackson. So um, it's his fault. I, I joke around that I, I work on this because he saw me at a meeting and called me out in front of my boss and in front of all of these other leaders uh, for being ashamed of my student loan debt. And I've taken that moment and have confronted my shame. And so a lot of the stuff in our society, whether it's having a price tag on higher education or whether it's what you get paid at work, people, they use shame to keep everybody in their place. So as long as we're able to confront our shame together and people know that they're not alone, and then we can be able to fight to make college free because education is a right. We can fight for higher wages because one job should be enough and people should get paid a minimum wage of at least $15 an hour, if not more. Because if you do, dental work is important. It literally saves people's lives. And so if you're a dental assistant, you're saving somebody's life with the, with the work that you're doing. And so you should be getting paid like $15, $20, $30 an hour because it's critical work. And that's that's what we're doing. And that's how, and it's us coming together and it's people just really saying, no, we're going to stop having a system that's based upon rich people preserving the system for their own kids. And it's going to be all of us being able to work together to build this beloved community. Thank you so much for that, Melissa. So folks, you have your answer of how you handle student loan debt. You know what the problem is. For those of you who don't think we need student loan forgiveness, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not about to give you advice to undermine my growth. So what I'll say is this, folks, we have to wrap things up. I want to thank everyone for being on here. Melissa, I want to thank you so much for being on the show with us and helping us to talk this through. We have about 30 seconds left. I want to give those 30 seconds to the chaos goddess, Tammy, and then we can close it off with the books. Tammy? Word. I just want to let students know to torrent your books. It's too expensive and they expect too much of you. Get them for free on the internet. And second, I want to ask any and all hackers out there, why haven't you targeted Sally Mae? Think of the children and think of the future generation. Evan, you got anything for us? I co-signed that completely. I don't understand why nobody been hacked Sally Mae by now. I mean, come on. Why WikiLeaks, just do something. One, someone from one of these tech, you know, people. First of all, hack Donald Trump DMs, hack Sally Mae. That's it. Now you guys are encouraging people to hack. And you know what? I am 99.1,000% here for it. 
Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Evan, Tammy, you guys killed it. If you folks have a moment, go on social media and wish Selena Hill a happy birthday. Her Twitter and IG handles are at Miss Selena Hill. If you still got some social media energy left after all of that, also make sure you take a screenshot of this, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, post it on social media and tag us at Be Her Talk to tell us what you love about the show. We deeply appreciate all of your support. We deeply appreciate all the listeners. And of course, we got to thank our sponsor one more time because listen, we wouldn't be there without them. Shout out to Black Enterprise as always. And shout out to our sponsor, Black Spectrum Theater. Start your subscription today. Head over to blackspectrum.com and get some of this great content that they got coming out. Until then, folks, if you missed this or you want to hear more of it, we publish our shows as podcasts every day, every week. So you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts from Spotify, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, anywhere. Subscribe. We'll talk to you later, folks. Peace.